Welcome to another episode of Mama Earth Talk. I'm your host, Maris Canal. Realizing just how much waste we generate on a daily basis, I've set a personal goal not only to reduce, reuse, and recycle, but to also educate the world about sustainability and how each of us can help preserve our beautiful planet. Thanks for listening. Let's dig in. I hope you guys are well, wherever it is that you're listening in from this podcast on your run behind the wheel. I just want to say I honestly appreciate every single one of you guys. And I'm not sure if you all received my latest newsletter. If you have not and you really want to sign up, I'm going to post a link where you can sign up in the show notes as well. But in the latest newsletter, I basically invited you guys all to have a coffee with me, whether it is actually in person. So if you are in Australia or in the UAE, where is like kind of the two places I hang out most, please let me know and we can definitely do a in-person coffee. Otherwise, I would love to have a virtual coffee with you and uh, just kind of love to hear from you and how I can actually add more value to you guys. And, you know, if there's anything in particular that I can help you guys with, with the work that I'm doing, I would honestly just love to do that. I mean, there's just like so many amazing, amazing crazy birds out there. And I would just love to provide you guys with as much value as possible. And on that note, I am looking forward to actually uh, speaking to our guest today. As you guys can remember in the previous episode with Kushu, we kind of talked a little bit about treating water. I just find it so, so crucial that more companies, more industries, whether it is agriculture or factory or whatever industry it is, it's so important for them to actually treat the water that is being pumped back into the systems to make sure it is as clean as possible. And the company that I'm going to interview today is doing just that. And I mean, there's different levels from cleaning water. Some companies clean it so that it is up to the standards that it needs to be for the municipality. Other municipalities don't really care, you know, how clean you put the water back. So it is definitely in the step, a step in the right direction to be cleaning all of these waters. There's also some companies that we spoke about with the episode with Kushu, and I'm going to link that episode that I spoke with the founder, Jesse, with you guys as well. Because, you know, some companies actually, if they have to adhere to some certifications, so if it is like a organic can't remember exactly off the top of my head what exactly that uh, specific certification is called, but they need to put water back into the system that it needs to be drinkable. So in many, 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 many countries, those water go back a lot cleaner than it actually came in. So in other countries, you know, the people put whatever, whatever slummy water they finish. When they finish with their product, they just put that back. So I'm really excited to share more about this company today because they are really, really leading this like 
industry for so many other companies that, you know, would not necessarily have done that on their own. And they've just like come in, stepped in to really make it as easy as possible for companies to be able to afford to give clean water back. So crazy birds, without any further ado, let me get into our guest. He is the founder and the CEO of an innovative water technology company called Origin Clear that has developed and licensed a decentralized system that treats industrial and agricultural water worldwide with very little energy and no chemicals. And during this episode, we take a look at the importance of industries and agriculture treating water the process that Origin Clear uses to make that possible, as well as how a financial decentralization of water can actually impact water as we know it. Crazy birds, without any further ado, I would like to welcome Riggs Eckleberry. Mariska, it's such a pleasure, and I love your zero waste Mariska handle. Oh, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. And I mean, you've got a really interesting story as well. Absolutely love like kind of, you know, all the stuff that you're doing. And would you mind sharing with our crazy birds kind of how did your sustainable journey actually start? Yes. Well, as an expat, you know that if you live abroad, you kind of develop a less insular view than most Americans do. So despite being an American, I was raised in all kinds of countries of, you know, I was born in Canada, I was spent years in the Caribbean, and then I was raised actually in France and Belgium. I think that this gave me a sense of more of what was going on in the world. After my schooling, I went off to work actually nonprofit for a decade, which means I made no, made no money, but I was doing what I loved. Eventually, though, I started realizing that the way we're going to make society more efficient and more survivable is with technology at the end of the day. We just have to become, I mean, remember when um, Jimmy Carter had those solar panels put up in the White House, there was at the time a big Mojave solar panel project. Well, they were so inefficient that they had to essentially be discarded. Leaps and bounds since then. And as a result, solar is now a viable energy source. So I chose to get into high tech myself. I started a crazy business in New York City, where I learned the perils of trying to meet a payroll every other week with 12 people and (laughs) definitely not for the faint of heart, but I'm proud to say I've never missed a payroll in my entire career. So that's important, right? Yeah, definitely. To be sustainable, you need to be sustainable, like, you know, on all of the aspects, not just environmentally, we need to, you know, have some financial sustainability as well. Yeah. And also, you know, it's, it's a karmic thing, you know, I, I don't want to stop paying people. It's very bad for my uh, my future existence. But anyway, I learned a lot there. And it was New York. It was the crazy 80s. And uh, fortunately, I remember it because I actually was not on drugs. So that was very good. And then the 90s, I got caught up in the dot-com craze. And that was wonderful because things were happening at such a rapid clip that I just, you know, I love moving fast. And, and finally, something was moving as fast as I felt I could move. And so that's where we've seen so many transformations since then. Sadly, not enough in the fossil fuels area. I would say that we are hampered by deeply vested interests in that area that are kind of holding us hostage, you might say. And in fact, by the year 2000, I was 2007 precisely, I was ready 
to become a CEO. And I was recruited to launch a venture to create biofuels from algae, which petroleum is old algae. That's fine. You know, petroleum is not dinosaurs. It's fossilized algae. Maybe it's 0.1% dinosaurs, but it's mostly algae. And it's the most efficient growing plant and hybrid plant animal in the world because it doesn't have to build a structure. It just can grow. And so it has an enormous CO2 uptake. And as a result, you can make a fuel that is carbon neutral. And that's a big thing. And we launched this company under its original name, Origin Oil, back then to pursue that because algae is the original oil. And we did quite well. I was on all the big shows. We had a great technology that was really making a difference in harvesting the algae out of the water, which is hard to do. Unfortunately, the oil industry had other plants. They had they discovered fracking. The price of crude dropped, you know, well below fifty dollars a barrel. And as a result, we really had to do some soul searching because, despite all my my high goals, I have to be responsive to the shareholders and. Ultimately, we took that same harvesting technology and brought it into the water industry. And we've been there for about eight years ever since. And I must say, it's been quite a journey. That sounds really phenomenal. And going from that and, you know, a lot of people, we've been actually talking on the podcast quite a bit about fossil fuels and renewables. And we've got quite a few amazing guests as well that I'll kind of link in the show notes for Crazy Bits, kind of have a, you know, go back and recap on some of it. But yeah, it's really, really important to kind of look at all those aspects. And it is definitely, I think with some of those renewables and things, it's definitely becoming more affordable. But as soon as they discover something else to make fossil fuels even more cheaper, then it's always almost like we're going a step back with the renewables because now you've kind of given people like this incentive to keep on using fossil fuels because it's like economically, it just makes more sense for them. You know, a lot of companies caring a lot more about the bottom line than actually what it's doing to the environment. So that it's great that companies are innovating and adapting to some of the things which you guys are doing. And so you are the founder and the CEO. You've just mentioned like, you know, Origin Clear. But what exactly is Origin Clear? So we've gone from Origin Oil, now it's Origin Clear. Well, the first thing we learned about the water industry is it was very resistant to change. And so it's hardly an innovation scene. It's more because, you know, public health and so forth, they're very conservative. As a result, we found it very hard to see where we can make a real difference. Yes, we could run a little water company and do a fine job. And, but, you know, I'm, I'm like Icarus. I like to fly high on my wings of wax, right? So I, <laughs> so therefore I, I wasn't really satisfied with that. Eventually, I'm going to fast forward all the way to now. Today, Origin Clear is, think of ourselves as the clean water innovation hub. And what that means is we come up with new ideas to transform the water industry we create those into businesses and then we launch them into the world, right? The one we're doing currently, for example, is a way to make it possible for people to put up water systems without having to pay up front, just pay on the meter as if they were paying the city, but they're paying us instead. Let's say you're a brewery and um, you're, you're producing too much beer and now the city won't take your effluent, which happens a lot. You can have your own facility and you don't have to pay up front and you also have full maintenance. So it's, it's a, sort of a instant solution to the water problem. And for investors, it's kind of like receiving royalties from an all well. 
except it's water, right? So that's what we call water like an oil well. That project is called Water on Demand, and we just launched it as an uh, independent company under our ownership. And investors are coming in to capitalize it because when you offer a water equipment to a customer for free up front, somebody's got to buy it for you. So we have investors who, who buy the machines and then they receive a residual uh, over the lifetime of the system. And so they get productive asset. The user gets um, equipment without having to go into their capital or go into debt or whatever. And we are able to scale very widely. So there's that. We're also uh, planning a water coin, which would represent the water asset. And ultimately, we think create a water marketplace, a world water marketplace. We have certain technologies that we've incubated in-house that are now in revenue and, and soon we'll be able to also go out. So we have about five properties in Origin Clear that we're simply putting on the launch pad. Now, this is a big change from even three months ago when we were very much about creating a more dense death star of value, you know, everything packed in. But we realized that that didn't do justice to a lot of what we're doing because, you know, it's like having a large family. You know, there's always some kid who's like, where'd Jim go, you know? <laughs> so, so as a result, we felt that parts of the, of the company were not really being served well. And we realized that actually launching them and crowdfunding them would be a great way to create a bunch of small public companies, sell replication, you might say, and just push them out. And then we would, of course, own the largest part of all these companies. And over time, we want to do a lot of these. We, we think that you know, it's not one invention, it's not one initiative that's going to change the water industry. It's a series of them over time. And that's the machine we built. Yeah. Oh, wow. It sounds like you guys are extremely, extremely busy. But I just want to kind of take a step back. So obviously, you know, a lot of these facilities will be treatments of the water. But just to kind of give some of our crazy birds a little bit deeper dive, like, you know, why is it so important for you guys to have these facilities so that you can actually treat the water? Why is that treatment of the water so important? Well, that's a very good question. And, and the, the stat is ridiculous, which is that in the world, 80% of all sewage is never treated at all. It's just dumped. Now, in US, UK, Dubai, New Zealand, that's not so. I mean, it's, mm. the, it's the inverse. But in places like Bangladesh, almost all of it is dumped. And so you have a big problem with the rivers, lakes, and oceans and the uh, groundwater becoming polluted. For example, California has a terrible problem with hydrocarbon pollution of its, of its groundwater. Why? Because they've been very permissive with the oil industry and allowed it to basically sprinkle its reject water onto the hillsides without filtering. Over time, that destroys the water. So we have to clean the water. Now, that's just the treatment side. But we intervene at the clean, at the clean water at the, at the head end, treating the dirty water and also recycling the treated water, all three. Especially, we have a new program that's called Water for Us. It's just started, which is we realized that we're starting to get clients who were, there's a lot of migration happening in America where people are moving away from the big cities into what's called secondary cities. And actually, a couple of years ago, Prince Charles spoke about that, about how the need for uh, secondary, the growth of secondary cities to take the load off the big mega, megalopolises, which We've now seen there's terrible problems with supply chain and, and potentially exposure to infectious disease 
We've had COVID, but I can tell you that a farmer in the middle of the Midwest has not had a COVID problem. He's just not exposed to other people, right? So if we can spread out the population, it's actually a good thing. We're seeing people do that naturally. So people are leaving the big cities, moving to places like here in Florida. In fact, we, my wife and I moved in 2020 from Los Angeles to the West Coast of Florida. And in part, it was because, you know, it's like, you know what, this is, this is just becoming a little bit nuts. And a lot of people are like that. Now, what's happening is they're moving into places where there's not adequate sewage and not adequate water supplies. And so there's an opportunity to give them complete water self-sufficiency. So imagine that you buy a house, a, a tract in the middle of Pennsylvania, 50 acres, and it's very cheap because sewage is miles away. Mm. Well, then you, pay, you create your own self-contained system, and now you've just created housing development without having to dig up a bunch of sewage lines, which is expensive and also disruptive. So that Water for Us project basically says we're building self-sufficient human communities with this technology, and it uses the water and demand financing engine. So when that housing development is built, they're not going to have to buy and have to spend a million dollars up front for that water system. It'll be part of the dues paid by the homeowners. Oh, that's amazing. And I mean, coming originally from South Africa, like a couple of years ago, they kind of called it day zero that was approaching. And that was the day that Cape Town would literally be without water because, you know, I they. Remember yeah. That. <laughs> so, you know, water is becoming so, so important, you know, and to be able to have clean water is even more important. And I mean, I work with a lot of organizations that actually helps also to provide clean water and sanitation to some countries that the women still literally walks like kilometers every single day to just like, you know, get their daily water. And here we are, you know, just opening every single tap and so fortunate to actually have water. But who says that's going to be the case for all of us in, you know, another 50 years if we just waste water as we are currently doing? I mean, what you guys are doing is really, really so crucial to kind of, you know, put all of those ends together and to make sure that people are able to actually treat the water like kind of where they are because I mean the facility will be like kind of with you you know it's like a contained system as far as I understand am I correct it's modular it's um we have a technology for modular water systems that are prefabricated and then just drop them in place no muscle no fuss connect them and you're done that's part of what makes it work very well but you were talking about Cape Town you know I think you remember that Cape Town was resolved by simply making the farmers take less water that was the solution Well, it didn't help the farmers, right? And the same thing is happening in Northern California where nobody can figure out what to do because they're literally running out of water. And the only solution is to, instead of growing avocados and almonds, grow, you know, um, kale or or barley, you know, which are more drought resistant. And unfortunately, the farmers are like, well, excuse me, I built my business on avocados. And so this, unfortunately, right now there's trade-offs. Now, there's ways to bring more water into the system that it requires thinking outside the box. Let's take, for example, North, Northern California. There's one idea, it's very, very common sense idea, but I guarantee you they won't do it, which is you could pump the salt water, the ocean water from San Francisco all the way up to the top of the Sierra Nevada and into the Mojave Desert and let it percolate through the desert and it would desalinate into fresh water. It would take 10 years, but cost of pumping, 
and you'd have all the water you needed. That kind of solution, unfortunately, is too simple. And so we're left with like digging tunnels under the Sacramento Delta and all kinds of wild schemes. But you're right. The first thing we have to do is we have to make proper use of the water, which means recycling. America today is terrible at recycling. Israel recycles almost 90% of its water. The second in the world is Spain, actually, with 20%. And then the U.S. is at 1%. Because we have older water systems, they were all built in one direction. The water flows from, let's say, Beverly Hills in Los Angeles, downhill to the El Segundo water plant by Santa Monica Bay, and then it gets treated, and they put it in the Santa Monica Bay. It doesn't go back up to Beverly Hills to get reused. It's not designed that way. It would be impossible, and now it's all built up. What are they going to do? Build huge aqueducts going back uphill? So the way the centralized systems are built they just don't allow for wholesale recycling. But if you're doing your own treatment, you can recycle. You have the water, you treated it. Now you can put it on the lawn or the golf course, or even theoretically, you know, all this water can be reused to drink, but nobody wants to. But the fact is that maybe we're getting to that point where we got to think like astronauts and reuse all that water for our own consumption. And I mean, that whole process of treating the water. So what is the kind of energy consumption from it? Does it use a lot of energy? How is it clean? Like, is there any chemicals involved? Like, can you like share a bit more about that? Well, there's there's some good uh, technologies in the water industry. Uh, For example, reverse osmosis is very successful. Now, the problem with reverse osmosis, as you might know, is that it's energy intensive. That's how they your water you're drinking in Dubai has probably been desalinated. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> the only reason Dubai is able to do it is because they have a lot of natural gas to tap because it's energy intensive. Because you're forcing water through a semi-permeable membrane and literally keeping the salt from taking the salt out of solution. That's a very brute force thing, but it works very well. But you get, for every gallon of water, you get like four gallons of reject water, which is briny and it goes back into the ocean and now the ocean gets more briny it's just it's a not, it's not perfect desalination is far from perfect it's one of the solutions but you know we really have a problem we have been innovating in the area there's um, one of our new systems that we've installed to clean wastewater lagoons at uh, you won't believe this but uh, trailer parks in america mostly deal with their human refuse by just dumping it into a lagoon and letting it sit it's called passive water treatment now, of course, the environmental departments are saying, well, wait, wait, hold on, we've got to improve this. And so we installed a system that would run this water through a very interesting nano ceramic. And in that nano ceramic, let's say this, this one piece of ceramic has, you know, the surface area of the entire coastline of America, right? All in one little, because it's so many little crevices. Well, beneficial bacteria grow in those crevices and eat up the organic waste. And so you can do things like that, which there's no energy use whatsoever. You just, all you got to do is have a small pump running the water through the system, recirculation pump, which is, you know, 100 watts, and you've got yourself set. There's innovative ideas like that that we're working on. So I would say it's a blend. Right now, the priority is treat the water. Dirty water makes a lot of people very sick. There's, I think, a billion cases of of, uh, water-caused diarrhea per year. This is not the diarrhea you and I know. This is diarrhea that can literally dehydrate you and kill you, you know, especially if you're a kid. And so this stuff is not, you know, there's apparently 6,000 kids per day that die 
from water-related diseases. This is a scandal. So the first job is get the water clean. Second job is, is slipstream the new technologies in, like this idea of using the beneficial bacteria to make it more sustainable over time. And I think that is, we, we have to think about that because did you hear that Germany just decided they're going to light up all those coal-fired plants again because of the, um, the gas danger? Like, well, what's the point? I mean, you know, what do we just do? I mean, Lord have mercy. So unfortunately, the, you know, moving to wind was a very uh, precarious direction. I personally am a big uh, advocate of safe nuclear energy, that there are technologies out there to do that. I think that nuclear energy is the only comparable 24-7 energy source comparable to fossil fuels. Unfortunately, we've had a lot of opposition to that because the nuclear plants built in the 50s were not safe. And so we have this terrible legacy of bad, leaky, you know, all the Westinghouse nuclear plants in, built in France all leak radioactive water into the farmland. How wonderful. So that is a problem, you know, caused by the nuclear industry and they're kind of reaping. But if you look at it objectively, there are technologies. Anyway, I'm, I'm getting away from water for sure. But the point is that you have to basically prioritize. For us, the first priority is to get more water treatment happening. Let's take a look at India, for example. They have essentially no sewer system. They have men down in there digging it out and dying from sewer gas. It's horrendous. What's the solution? Well, they don't have the money for a big, giant, trillion-dollar water system. Just make it local. In other words, every business takes care of its own water treatment. It's starting to happen in places like Mexico. They just treat their own water. They don't try to build the big central systems because the, the will and the budgets are not there. So that's why this decentralized water treatment is so important because it can take places like India and finally bring sensible water treatment to these areas because it's being handled on a business by business and, and eventually community basis. So then does the water just kind of go through the system and filter, filter out? Or like, do you add anything to the water or like trying to get like a, a visual picture? Like, you know, if I was standing there in front of the treatment, like, what am I going to see? What's going to happen? Normal water, uh, wastewater treatment is only treating to a level that allows them to send it to this municipality as quote unquote treated water. Then it's not drinkable water. If you're going to treat something, well, let's take uh, what I have under my sink right now is I have a, uh, a reverse osmosis system with three filters, and it also puts minerals back in, you know, so that you you get you take everything out of the water. And now it's not very safe because it's like distilled water, and then you put the minerals back in and so forth. That's what you would do to get drinkable water. But what we're doing when we're cleaning wastewater is we're just trying to get the level of bacteria and solids to a very, very low level, sufficient that the city can take it and do what's called tertiary or final treatment to kind of uh, polish it, the polish stage, right? The polish stage typically is left to the city even now. Um, I think it'll be a long time before we do 100% closed circuit water treatment where literally the water going out of the shower and the toilet is literally being reused into the faucet. That's going to be a long way away. Okay, well, progress, hopefully, hopefully in time. And Rickson, which countries do you currently work in? Well, our presence is primarily in the US and more specifically, we have operations in the Southeast, which including Florida where we are, but we have a, a big operation center in Texas, 
So Texas, Georgia, the Carolinas, all the way up to Virginia. That's our primary zone. But uh, we have a very large power plant operator in the Oklahoma area that is a customer. So we're pretty much all over the country. Now, international is just starting. I had a very promising project in the north of Spain to clean up all the uh, manure. They produce so much hog that it, it creates a big problem with the manure. Um, you know that the European Union has a big limit on ammonia exhaust, which ammonia destroys the forests all around. And so they were trying to do something about it. Went there in 2019 pre-COVID, and it was very exciting, and it was working great. You know, you would literally see the, the manure come in, and then it would separate out into water and nice brown organic fertilizer. That was great. Only problem is, is that company, unfortunately, shut down, was, did not survive COVID. And so we really decided to focus for now on North America. Over time, we're, we really want to solidify these new business models in the U.S., primarily because this is where we have best access to, to investors. These investors are like the idea that they can invest. This is a new asset called water, which now generates royalties. And so they get you know, residuals. So that's better, for example, in real estate, which is, we think, you know, headed for a crash. And all the other assets are overbid. Water is a very good asset. So th- there's a very good market here. But here's what we find to do. This water demand project, which finances water treatment projects, will start putting other financing centers in other places like Dubai, London, Singapore, Miami, et cetera, where, there's, where, where financing can be done for those regions and get the water funding done. So we have expansion plans, but we are taking one step at a time. Oh, that sounds great. And is there some like accreditations or stuff that you guys give? Like once the water has gone through this, they can get some accreditation? Because I know with some of the organizations that I've previously had on the podcast, so I think the two episodes or a few episodes before this one, um, I had Kushu on. They kind of work with organizations that their whole stuff is a little bit more like, you know, everything's organic certified. So their companies kind of have to all of the water that leaves the factory has to be drinkable and it has to be certified that it is drinkable. So, I mean, we've kind of touched on that previously, but is there any uh, like certifications or accreditations that you, you guys give with that? You're the first person to hear about it, but we're planning to come out with the Water For Us Award. We'll be giving it to at the launch of a very fine hotel that's launching in Nashville in June. Is part of a, of a high-end chain that's growing fast. They're being innovative by putting clean water treatment at the top end so that the entirety, not just that water bottle on your dresser when you come in the hotel room, but actually the entirety of the hotel, the kitchens, the bathrooms, the showers, everything has this ultra-pure water. And so they've, they've made that commitment, not only to that hotel, but to their entire chain. And so they're getting... It's basically an innovation award is what it is. Now, as far as certification goes, we simply make sure that certifications are met. I think that's really important, but, you know, we're not trying to drive standards. We're really trying to drive adoption more. Oh, that sounds great. And I mean, we will be sure to kind of look out on your social media and everything to hear who is this hotel. So crazy birds, like make sure to follow 
I had, you know, a very deep dive into what you guys do before we actually had this conversation. And one of the quotes that you uh, said really resonated with me, water is the new gold. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that? Well, it's a take on the fact that in the 20th century, oil was the, was the new gold, right? That was what really propelled so many fortunes. The current century, Goldman Sachs pronounced that water was the new gold. And I don't know if you ever watched The Big Short where Michael Burry decided he was going to do water. There's actually, there's actually the rest of that story is very interesting. But we adopted water's new gold because it says water is an asset. Now, unfortunately, water has always been controlled by governments. And so how do you make it a productive asset for investors? Well, you don't. What you do now, though, is we have this um, diversification happening where more and more entities are treating their own water. And now we can make it a productive asset. And it's in that sense, it's like gold. It's a commodity. Uh, remember that, that we are moving in America and in the world from a currency-based finance system to a commodity-based finance system because of the tremendous inflation that is kicking in. I've extended the line on the inflation graphs. And uh, if it continues, in three years, we'll be in the US at 32% per year. Five years, I'll be at 38% per year. Well, that's, that's the end of money as we know it. And it'll be replaced by what we think is a commodity-based finance system. And water, I believe, is going to be one of those. But to come back to the Michael Burry story, he went into water and he learned that it was highly politicized because he was trying to deal with cities, water rights and so forth. And he basically gave up and he went into farmland, which is an indirect user of water, the biggest actually, as a way to profit from water through farmland. In fact, that's, we know that uh, Bill Gates has done that, Jeff Bezos has done that, all the big uh, fortunes are in, are in farmland. But I believe that if Michael Berry were to start today with dealing with privatized water, as we are starting to see it now, he'd have a different experience and perhaps he will come back to that uh, water industry. Oh, very, very interesting. Something to think about. As we're talking about commodities and money, like you are actively kind of involved in the crypto or like blockchain products to uh, like kind of support the financial decentralization of water with the blockchain. Like, can you share more about this? Well, it's fascinating. First of all, um, Mariska, the problem with water is that the price is different everywhere. You know, it might be very, very cheap in one place and very expensive in another. And so it's very hard to create a global market. The oil industry is standardized around the price of West Texas crude and Brent crude. Those are the standard prices. But we don't have any such thing in water. It's highly localized. So how do you create a global market? Because it makes sense that if you have a water risk in Northern California, you should be able to hedge it by buying options on Singapore water, which is very plentiful, right? You can't. There's no such thing. So there's a, a need for a marketplace. We believe it can be done through crypto. And here's how. By creating these, these uh, paper gallon systems where people fund water treatment systems that are then, you know, returning royalty to investors. We now have a, div a flow of dividends, right? Now we package that into uh, asset coin or NFT. doesn't matter how, but there's a packaging of it. That coin holds all of the future revenues from that contract. And let's say that I go, okay, the contract is worth, I don't know, half a million dollars. I'm going to resell it to Mariska. And all I got to do is just do a change of address and boom, it's yours. 
dollars to be broke. They'll be broken down into much smaller pieces than half a million. But the point is, it's kind of like the, in this country, there was an American football player who took his contract and created a coin that sold off pieces of his future contract. So people got pieces of the contract and he got the money now, right? So uh, he got it, he sold it at a discount, obviously, but he got present money and they got potentially future money, assuming that he didn't get injured, right? So that's the same kind of idea, which is that you take a productive asset and you put the future income stream in a coin and now you are able to move it around. That mobility, we think eventually can create a water marketplace because that's what's happened already with the, uh, I don't know if you know what NFTs are, but nonetheless, it is a, it's a type of asset and it is very easy to transfer and non-fungible means this individual is unique, right? So it's unique. It says, this is that, that water, that water, not the other water. And so it, it ties into a specific contract. And it then, once you have those contracts and they all have pricing that is standardized. And now we're starting to move to a water marketplace. Now it'll take a while, but we believe that the crypto world is moving away from what they call shit coins, which are basically just scams. And it's moving towards coins that have something behind them. In this case, it'll be monetized water supporting a coin. And I think that's very healthy. I love that. Well, I actually had a previous episode where I talked about my NFT that I launched in the beginning of this month. So crazy birds kind of listened to that. So yeah, NFTs, um, I feel there's there's a lot like, you know, it's obviously it's like kind of web 3.0. It is going to, you know, change the way that we do business, I feel, you know. I've been getting a lot of like questions and I know probably you guys might have as well, like kind of, you know, with blockchain and like NFTs, there's like a lot of like environmental impact because, you know, some of the proof of work or proof of stake, you know, especially with proof of work uh, is very energy hungry. Like how are your company kind of addressing that? You know, if you, if you are going to have this like water coin. The work is created by the water treatment, right? So the value, the reason why we have proof of work on Bitcoin mining is because it's an artifact. There's no actual work being done. So they had to create work. Otherwise, how would you get a valuable coin? Bitcoin is valuable because it derives from work, but it is make work. I think Bitcoin is wonderful. I'm not saying it's bad, and, but I'm just saying that we automatically have a proof, we call it proof of water, right? Which is that it's the water, is generating income. And so therefore it's throwing off money. You have an income stream. You can package anything that has an income stream. You don't have to do anything to prove it. It is what it is. Yeah, there's the value. Take a look at the uh, ETH value of that contract. There it is. Ethereum smart contracts tell you exactly what this thing's going to be. So uh, I think that, that we, you know, we're only dealing here with the cost, the energy cost of treating the water, which, as I say, will become more sustainable over time. And I think also, you know, from like the blockchain's perspective as well, because I always tell people as well, people need to compare what's happening with cryptocurrency now. Just like a simple reference that everyone knows, most people have probably driven a car or driven inside a car. For me, I feel cryptocurrency is like that. You know, when cars, if you look 100 years back, 
having a car wasn't a net zero, like zero emissions that you can have now, but it's slowly getting there. And I think at the moment, like with Bitcoin, there's about almost 40% of it comes actually from sustainable energy sources and it's really becoming more and you've got like ethereum as well like ethereum 2.0 which is hopefully gonna see that soon which will be also more energy efficient so i definitely think you know things like that is happening but it is a process you know unfortunately rome wasn't built in a day and the cryptocurrencies as well so hopefully it gets better and better but um I mean, there's so much good that can actually come from that because what you guys are doing with this coin and making sure that, you know, whatever you would pay for water, that it kind of has, is it's the same price, that you don't have all of these inflated stuff that you're currently seeing and um, that more people can actually have access to clean water, which would be fantastic. We need way more of that. All we got to do is attract investors and it creates a sector. And then you have the ability, look, for example, to take petroleum. In 1981, Apache Oil Corporation invented the Master Limited Partnership. Previous to that, you invested in a single oil well, but if the single oil well dried up or got closed up, then you didn't have any revenue. So what they did is they packaged it, a bunch of these properties, gas, oil, and pipelines into these partnerships. And then they, they became very, very, very healthy residuals. And it's today a $300 billion space. The MLP sector did not replace Exxon. It complements it, right? And we see it the same way. What we're building is basically a water MLP that it's not a partnership. It does, it works in different ways, but the structure is the same, which is a basket of water treatment systems that people invest in and get residuals from. And we believe it, it too will complement the big boys in the water industry who will not obviously go away. So. By creating financial vehicles, that's one of the things that, that's creative. It, it's, finance is not always parasitical. It does, you know, when done right, there's new ways of financing things that can create value. And we think this is one of them. Oh, I love that. That's amazing. And we talked about the, the coin. And just for our crazy birds, kind of recap. So the coin is actually called dollar sign H2O. So that's the coin. But you also have a separate like part, which is called Clear Aqua. You've been reading well. <laughs> I like that. Thank Can you. you tell us more about the Clear Aqua project? Well, dollar H2O is a fine coin. And by the way, these, these will be one of the good things about doing this sort of hub and spoke approach to launching things is we don't have to mix up the coin with something else. It's going to have its own rollout so that you do financing through the crypto world, which is very specific. The problem with dollar H2O is it's a security. Why? Because it pays dividends. In the United States, you cannot market a coin that's a security unless it's to the upper 1%, right? So what about, the, what about everybody else? So we thought, well, wait a minute, let's make a coin that's not security. And it's more like a community, sort of kumbaya, let's all pull together kind of thing, where um, you have a network with people on the ground spotlighting problems, reporting them up to delegates. This is, uh, if you've ever read about Delegate Proof of Stake, DPOS, which is, uh, Van Larimer built it, wonderful. But it puts humans in the system to basically be proctors for the process. And then they gather up these problems and turn them into proposals, which then go over the bridge to this H2O side for, for the financing. This entire Clearwater community process 
is open to anyone. Why? Because it's not intended to make money for people. Coin may be worth money over time, but that's not the purpose of having it. The purpose of having it is to make the world a better place and to have make better water by having a, a, uh, an intelligence network, shall we say, of community activists who are all of us. Oh, that's amazing. That's such a great like project. And yeah, I'm looking forward to kind of following that and seeing how you guys progress with that. Riggs, what would you say is kind of next for like Origin Clear? I mean, you guys are already having so much going on, <laughs> but kind of what would you see? Like what's next for you? Because we made a decision to, instead of bulk up value, instead to launch it out into the world, we're turning Origin Clear into more of a mothership that will do all of the shared, you know, marketing, finance, personnel, legal, et cetera, for all of the children so that these spinoffs don't have to have all those. They can just focus on what is specific to them. And so we're building that right now. We're building that, that sort of central resource capability. And we're doing the first launch, which is Water on Demand. Next up will be the crypto. After that, there will be a rollout of a, what we call conveyance, which is uh, moving water, um, there's a technology for that. And then after that, anyway, so we have a series of these lined up in the future. But to make it work, we have to have a good central service point. And that's the future of Origin Clear, which will gain revenues from managing all, all of its children and also have shares, a large piece of all of them. And so I think that um, my, my ownership of Origin Clear is going to do very well. That's my certainly my hope after all these years. But I have enjoyed, finally have enjoyed it. It's been very, very tough, I have to say. During COVID, we had the worst time because our business model was not fixed. And we were, dealing, we were operating at the speed of the water industry, which is not fast enough. And our investors were And finally, though, the work is hard, but it's fun. Well, it sounds like it's really rewarding as well. So thank you for all the work that you're doing. You know, it's, it really, it does make such a difference. And I'm sure, you know, it's going to have an impact on a lot of people around the world in the future. That's my hope. Thank you very much, Priscilla. Riggs, what would you say has been one of your most important decisions that you have made around Mama Earth? I think the, de- the decision to move from high tech into green in 2007 was a big one because I'd probably be a very arrogant multimillionaire in high tech by now. But instead, I was excited about initially moving into algae, but ultimately into water, which are much more challenging. Tech is built to go fast. Um, It has the culture. It's very easy. It's hard work, but you can can move. There's not a lot of barriers. I stepped into an area where there were tremendous barriers. And I think that was the the inflection point for me, where in 2007, I created this public company with the help of some very, very uh, wonderful backers. And we've been dedicated ever since to bring high-tech disruption to non-high-tech industries. Wow. Well, that is for sure an amazing accomplishment. And yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how, how that all continues to go. So guys, we are just going to take a quick break before we head into our final five. And the reason for that is I just want to give you guys a big shout out. Thank you so much for all of the crazy birds that has actually provided me with some feedback on the podcast. And I would just like to kind of acknowledge, you know, some of those amazing reviews and feedback that I've actually been getting. And one of them 
that I would love to mention today is from the UK. It's from John. And he actually did a review on iTunes. It said, Mariska is such an inspiration. Her passion for sustainability and going waste-free is so powerful that you can't help but be affected by it. My wife and I have taken away some very useful tips on going waste-free. Some we have never even thought of before and have already started implementing them. The world is in need of more people like Mariska. Her podcast is a must listen to if you want to start living a waste-free life. Thank you so much, John, for the amazing review. And I would love to hear from you guys. And it just really, really means so much to me if you guys actually rate and review the podcast. It also helps other people find the podcast so that I can actually share this with them as well and help them on their journey. So if you do leave a review, please let me know. Like, you know, I would love to give you guys a shout out on the next episode. So please keep them coming. And now let's get back into our final five. First one is what is one social media account that you follow or a publication? I'm, I'm very unconventional. I am in Telegram a lot, which are completely ridiculously off the radar. And so I, I think it'd probably be most incorrect to mention the ones I follow there, but there are some good podcasts to be found there. I have a good friend, uh, John Mappin, who's in the UK, and he's a big activist for very fine people, including a lot of mobility in England, pushing for a more equitable, inclusive world. And um, he is, of course, on Twitter. And, uh, you know, I, I follow him assiduously. I we have our own little WhatsApp group that we all like posting this to. So I would say that um, the, the person that was on that group the most, that I think is the most interesting, is uh, James Melville. He's a wonderful thinker. He posts a lot on Twitter. At James Melville he is a very good, rational, not over the top. Because <laughs> I watch a lot of over the top, I'm like, sure, that's crazy. But James Melville, I think, speaks the truth without being that way. Oh, awesome. And what is your hope for Mama Earth going forward? Oh, I, it's not just a hope. It is a certainty that we are going to fix the conditions of this planet. It's going to take a while, and we're going to go through some hard times because of so much disruption. But remember that it's the death of a lot of the old school vested interests. They are they're wedded to the old. And any student of high tech will tell you that there's technology generations and the old of always lose out, always, always, always lose out. And so we just have to work our way through these things, use our, our collective will to push for the new thing. Let me give you an example. You know, I just bought a Tesla. Which model? <laughs> the uh, three row model Y. Oh, lovely. It's a, I call it a spaceship. It's wonderful. <laughs> Here's the thing about the Tesla. We know that it's still relying on, you know, the central power plant. And we know that it's using non-sustainable lithium and so forth. But it's a step in the right direction. At least the air around me will be clean. So that's a start. And my fuel costs went down to nothing. Literally $10 a month is ridiculous. And by doing more of that, we will then be able to cure more. So I'm, I'm not one to say, I'm not going to do that because it's not perfect. No, it's a step in the right direction. 
take that step, and now we'll deal with the challenges of electrification, which, however, can be addressed because that's part of the steps forward. So it's all about being realistic, making the steps forward, and remembering that we can fix it with technology generations. And it's, it, technology will win in the end. And what advice can you give our crazy birds to actually help out Mama Earth this week? On the one hand, we feel that there's nothing we can do for, you know, locally, what are we, we're small, but I think it doesn't matter what you do, being conscientious about your daily habits. I would like to make a biased proposal that people get on our newsletter by going to originclear.com because we will soon have a way for everyday investors to put in $500 or $1,000 into this water asset thing. And I think that is going to help grow things. I was totally self-centered, but it, I do think it's helpful. And what is one sustainability fact that you like to use in a room with people that are not yet on a sustainable journey? The biggest fact that people have to understand is the one that, that is almost, it's so stark as to be unbelievable, which is that only one out of five gallon of dirty water is clean in the world. Well, eventually you run out of water, right? I mean, come on, how many... It's been going on for over a century. So people realizing that there, are, there is a real problem with just not doing our jobs or too much permissiveness and it's just being dumped. Oh, it really makes you think. <laughs> and Riggs, uh, where can people actually find you and your company? Well, I'm here in Clearwater. You can see me. <laughs> Originclear.com is where you can go. And I do a weekly zoom broadcast in fact i hope to feature excerpts from your podcast on a future show and it's about 40 minutes and we go into geopolitical issues as they relate to where water is going and and how the company is progressing we're very transparent and just go to originclear.com slash ceo and sign up for the briefing and i look forward to seeing your audience on my weekly briefing Awesome. And I am definitely going to link it up for our crazy birds that might be listening while they are driving. We've got you covered. Go on the show notes and we will have all the links from the show for you there to make it easier for you guys just to get all the info there. Well, thank you so much for being such an amazing guest on the podcast and for all the work that you guys are doing. It's really, you know, making such a difference in the world. Yeah, thank you. Prisca, it's been such a pleasure. I love the thorough and interesting nature of your podcast, so keep up the good work. Oh, thank you so much. And that's a wrap. Huge thank you for our amazing guest for being on the podcast and for sharing their journey with us. You can find the show notes of this episode on the MamaEarthTalk.com's website. The biggest thank you goes out to all of you crazy birds for listening to the podcast. If you have not already listened to all of the episodes, you can go back to a few of them. You will absolutely love them. I really enjoyed recording every single one of them. And I really hope that you enjoy listening to them. There's over a hundred episodes. So if you feel a little bit lost on which one to listen to next, maybe select one of the episodes with guests that you might want to know more of and start from there. If you enjoy the episodes, why not tell a friend about the podcast and maybe share an episode with them? 
let them know that we are here and we are waiting for them with open arms and they are all very welcome to join the crazy birds globally. If you have a question for me, please send them over. The best way to get in contact with me would probably be a DM on Instagram. You can either send it to my personal, which is at Zero Waste Mariska, or the podcast, which is at Mama Earth Talk, or send me an email at hello at mamaearthtalk.com. If there's a particular guest or topic that you would like to hear on the podcast, let me know. I love to hear from all you crazy birds. New episodes are uploaded every second Monday. So make sure to subscribe that you do not miss a thing. Mama Earth has a voice and it's us crazy birds.